Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. And we're back. Welcome to another episode of The Flow Line. Matt, how are you doing this lovely afternoon? You know, there's not a lot to complain about, so let's call that a good one. Absolutely. It's hard to complain when oil's, well, I guess today's like 96, but tomorrow, you never know. Real quick, Matt, how are the Astros doing? I know they had a little bit of a slump there, but give us the breakdown. What's going on now? It's the end of April, so they're starting to warm up a little bit, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, like, it's one of those, so there's a thing called expected batting average, and they're all supposed to be doing way better than they are, which sort of means, like, just, you know, they hit the ball in the wrong place and someone catches it, or, Mm. but it's been a fairly tough run to watch like it's been bad I was really hoping Odorizzi was gonna like break out and he has been horrible but what I want to focus on is Sunday's game where it went into extra innings and young gun Jeremy Pena hits a walk-off home run to win the game oh what? so that was super exciting so I just kept watching that video on replay most of yesterday <laughs> I'm focusing on that for now, but I'm hoping as they head up to normally the Rangers are a great opportunity to feel better about yourself. So hopefully their stint up there gets them back in their winning ways. Right. Well, if anyone in Dallas listens, we apologize, but that's the truth. But so. only a little. Yeah. The truth <laughs> might hurt. Okay. Oh, that's awesome. Well, uh, you know, it's always good to catch up on the Astros and you know, I want to put a shameless plug in there, Matt, our good friends over at Apollo media, they do a really good job creating content around the Houston Astros. If anyone's a big baseball fan or just a Houston sports fan, you can follow them on about anything you can think of every social media platform. So big shout out to our buddy Dez over at Apollo Media. I always like to help him out whenever I can. Yes. Excellent shirts. I own many of them. (laughs) Yeah, no, they're great. So anyway, back to drilling fluids. Matt, again, some of the best episodes come when people have questions. And I had a question over the weekend talking to someone on the operator side and there was a well scenario that came up and ultimately what they had on location didn't quite cut it with regards to killing the well. So they were asking, Hey, if we combine one heavier brine with this lighter brine, could we essentially get the desired density and would there be any compatibility issues? And like many answers in the oil field and in life, the answer was, well, it depends. So I think it would be a good topic of conversation, Matt, to kind of bring you know, a real life question into the podcast here and just discuss it and hopefully answer some questions and allow the listeners to get some feel for if you decide to do this, here's some of the risks. Can you, can't you, and sort of everything in between. What do you think? I think it's good. And this is actually sometimes sort of a brain teaser. There's a lot more to think about than kind of initially meets the eye, depending on what you're trying to do. So it's a good question. and certainly something that we can hash out over an episode. Perfect. And yeah, so like I said, you know, it's and this stuff typically happens Friday night about nine o'clock when you get a call and someone that you know is in a bit of a bind. And so they're trying to come up with solutions on the fly. Stuff happens that they're not prepared for. But in this case, you know, the question is like, well, you know, why would you combine? And instead of, you know, perhaps a lot of times you're limited, whether it's you don't have the product on location, you don't have mixing capabilities to build a fluid, sometimes you're limited on reservoir. But Matt, if someone's calling us, hey, could you mix this? You know, what's the reason typically that someone would call 
and do something a little bit unorthodox to get things done or to, you know, like we say, make it happen. I mean, I think obviously we all know best practices and we all know what we have to accomplish in the field to get the job done. And sometimes desperate times call for desperate measures. And I think in your case, let's pretend it's, you know, 10 pounds sodium chloride brine. I think most of us know that under, you know, typical conditions, 10 pounds is about as heavy we can get. But, oh, wait, I need 10.5. I need 11. I need 11.5. Where do I go now? And we've talked about how different brines can achieve different working densities. But what if I need 10.5, kind of throw in calcium chloride and just weight it up a little bit? And so, you know, the answer, as we sort of said, is maybe, but there's a lot of things you have to think through, you know, in that situation. So like, there's sort of the like, oh, I'm desperate and this is what's on hand, for example. So like, if I had sodium chloride, my perfect compatible example would be to use sodium bromide, use another monovalent brine where they're going to play nicely together. But sodium bromide is obscenely expensive relative to sodium chloride. And I don't think in a lot of the unconventional shale plays, you can just go pick it up from somebody. It's going to be harder to get and harder to source in a pinch. So there's a lot working against it, which is where we say, well, shoot, we got a lot of calcium chloride and that's heavy. You know, can we throw some of that in? And that's, you know, usually where a lot of this stems from. Right. So that's actually a really good point. I want to stick on the whole sodium chloride topic because that, you know, especially again, in this scenario, Particularly, it was for an operation out in West Texas. But for the most part, many fields in you know non-conventional here in the U.S. and I would imagine all of the world have produced brine, and it can weigh anywhere from nine to ten pounds. Let's just call it saturated brine, sodium chloride brine, which is very much readily available. You mentioned sodium bromide. So if anyone is out there is like, well, what could I mix with sodium chloride? It's really anything that has a sodium as a salt, right? And then beyond that, it would be whatever. Is that like thinking rationally here? Yeah. I mean, you could also, so monovalent, so potassium would also be compatible. So think of those, but then when you get in calcium, that's divalent. Right. So you might be able to mix magnesium, but normally if you stay same, same on the first salt, you're probably going to be okay. But calcium will mix with zinc. You know, we've talked about that in the past. And then formates are kind of a separate animal. I sort of leave to the side because Mixing things with formates can kind of be a mess. You want to keep formates all together as well. Makes sense. Okay, perfect. Well, thanks for clearing that up. So I think one of the first things one needs to think about is the available free water. Why is that important when talking about blending two different brines? Well, if you don't have enough available free water, the less soluble salt is going to be pushed out. So I've actually run into this scenario where we had KCL, which hangs out at about 9.7 maximum density. And then somebody said, oh, let me weight it up to 10 pounds. So what they started doing is adding sodium chloride. And the problem with that was that the sodium chloride, as you reach saturation, just starts pushing the potassium chloride out of solution and you get this precipitate at the bottom of the tank. And it's because there's not enough water to keep everything solubilized. So if you mix two saturated brines, many times they'll start fighting each other and the more soluble brine is going to win. In our case, let's say you mix 11.6 calcium chloride and 10 pounds sodium chloride. What you're probably going to see is you're probably going to see some of that sodium chloride get pushed out of solution. Gotcha. And then it would be really challenging for density control. Yeah. Then it becomes hard to maintain that density you were trying to maintain. And, you know, 
salt crystals can create problems too, right? Let's say I'm doing a workover or there's some kind of downhole equipment that can create some issues. Gotcha. Okay. Now there's another term and most people reference it as TCT, but true crystallization temperature. Matt, why is that important? Well, kind of referencing back to the first part with available free water, some of the issue is you get enough salt in and you can limit freezing, but then salt starts falling out when it gets cold. So let's say I'm very used to and happy working with 9,5 sodium chloride, and then I throw some other brine in there, and then it gets cold at night, and all of a sudden I don't have that density anymore because once again, salt crystals start falling out. So this is one of those, you know, you can measure TCT of any blend. It's a lab test. It's not the easiest thing to do in the field, although. I have poor boy to test or two in my career to cover our behinds in awkward situations. But the fact is that, you know, you need to be prepared for that. So TCT matters, especially as weather gets more extreme, as far as how you're going to be able to handle the fluid. Gotcha. And that's, again, something that, you know, right out of the cusp at nine o'clock at night when people are scrambling, you wouldn't really think about right out of the gate. So again, there's a few things to consider. And then, you know, very generally speaking, Matt, incompatibility. Some things just don't want to blend together. Yeah. And I mean, incompatibility can mean different things. So I've actually seen, you know, some brines you mix together, for example, zinc bromide has a really low pH. Potassium formate has a really high pH. You mix the two together. They both fall apart. You get like snow. It's not that you would ever do that on purpose, but we did it for fun in a lab and it was as nasty as everybody would have expected. And so you can have kind of surprising levels of incompatibility if you're not careful where a bunch of salt crystals form, but then even in, you know, workover situations, you might pump a really incompatible brine and it could plug off the perfs or it could affect the formation. And so that's something that could happen. It's a little bit more remote, but it's certainly possible. Mm. No, that's perfect to know that one of the reasons we do use a brine is it's ability for shale inhibition, you know, depending on what brines, use, but a lot of times that is your best fight, you know, against shale instability. A lot of times, and especially from a formation damage, sometimes people prefer that because it's, you know, low skin damage and you can get it in a hole, prevents shale swelling. But why would that be something that you need to kind of consider when say blending two brines or deciding which brines to use? Well, if you're adding it for that purpose, I mean, we see this all the time, right? So People, oh, let's throw a little bit of KCL in there. Like, well, let's have a 3% KCL with, you know, everything else being sodium chloride. Well, sodium potassium in particular, a high ratio of sodium to potassium actually slows the cation exchange that helps with that inhibition. So if you don't have a high enough ratio of potassium to sodium, you'll actually have no effect adding this, the potassium, even though it's there it won't effectively be able to find its way to inhibit the shale. And similarly, let's say you have a calcium system. This is why when we try and go super inhibited with cationic systems, you want no sodium. The reason is because sodium will displace calcium in those clay platelets and let them expand again. So your sodium chloride, calcium chloride mix, well, you know, if executed properly could have the right, you know, if you don't have the right ratio, it'll actually have no effect if you're worried about shale inhibition. And so this is something a lot of people overlook. I mean, I've been through it a million times in my career where somebody says, man, let's get a little KCL in there. And we got like sodium bromide brine 
And it, it's like, I know what you're trying to do, but this will have no effect. <laughs> yeah, no, it's unless you really think it through and you understand your chemistry there, it could be easily something you could assume and actually you're taking a step ahead, but two steps backwards. So that's, that's a really good point. One thing too, that, you know, one thing to really consider is, especially if you mix these brines and you have to say, depending on the well, on the circumstance at the well, you may have to start adding some products depending on what you're doing, but that could be another incompatibility issue there is if you have to say, wait up or you need to add some rheology. Matt, talk a little bit about products and additives with respect to, you know, different brines. Well, you're teasing some of it out already, but let's just go with the classic xanthan gum. If I want to wait up and so I'm going to this up the brine, when I start introducing a bunch of cations, the scary thing is you might actually get a little bit of initial viscosity. There's a certain amount you can get away with. And then what can happen is that the xanthan could actually cross-link and start dropping the weight material. It creates a huge gooey mess, obviously not something you want to encounter. And so you have to think even oxygen scavenger, corrosion control products. When you introduce cations, you have to find things that are compatible with it because many of those additives are not the same ones as what we use day to day. So you got to be leery of that. That could not only contribute to more cost, but your products just straight up might not work. So I would say that that's something just everybody's kind of got to have on their radar. Yeah, no, that's a very good point, Matt. And then also too, once you have everything blended together, you know, what do you have after you mix it? Oftentimes you may not know what you're going to have after you mix and how everything's going to react, Matt. So speak about that a little bit if you could. Well, so, I mean, let's say we respected our free water. We blended some things together. Guess what? We're going to circulate a little bit and things are going to get lighter because of water in the lines, wherever. Something will happen where you're going to have to continue to adjust the density. And you'll add some more brine, you'll do this, that, or the other. And sometimes it's obvious. Maybe I can titrate my calcium and kind of calculate out if I have a certain number of chlorides. There's maybe some math there we can do. Other times it's almost impossible. So going back to bromides, which are really expensive, but bromides titrate exactly like chlorides. So if you have a pure bromide, you can titrate it. But when they're blended, chlorides and bromides show up the same. And so you'll have no idea which one you had if you had a calcium chloride, calcium bromide blend. So that may be, and I've seen this for cost, especially where they've mixed calcium chloride with calcium bromide with zinc bromide to find some like sweet spot. And then you have no idea what's actually in that brine at any given time because it's just such a complex mixture that it will sort of create a bit of a mess. And in that case too, you get enough zinc bromide, it'll start pushing up calcium chloride. You know, you'll see some precipitation. So knowing what you have after you've mixed it, especially if you have to make adjustments can be a huge nightmare. Not to say people don't get by and people don't manage, but it's something to be leery of. Yeah. That is important. It's one thing is in your kind of in your head because you know the quick and dirty is all if I mix these two densities together and I have my simple formula, I'll figure out what density I need after and away we go. But clearly, Matt, there's a ton of things to consider. And if it seems a little overwhelming, well, you know, again, we're discussing everything that could possibly be an issue. But the best thing to do is just, you know, contact if you're in the field and this is happening, someone's asking questions. If you don't know, Simply just say, you know what, let me get with my technical support team and hash a lot of these things out. And that way, you know, really you can provide good information to the customer for them to make, you know, sort of a calculated decision versus just, you know, throwing two different density fluids together and hoping for the best. 
So anyway, Matt, those are all the questions I had and, you know, a good little thought exercise because, you know, this is not the first time something like this has come up and surely won't be the last. No, I can close with one little math exercise that I like putting in front of people. Listening this, you got to think about this for a second, but the trick question is, I have 14.2 pound per gallon calcium bromide. Is it cheaper to cut it back to 13.5 pounds per gallon with water or with calcium chloride? Which one do you think would be cheaper? Water, which we could say is free, or calcium chloride, which I'll say costs 45 bucks a barrel in this example. I have no idea if that price is valid anymore because inflation. So (laughs) perfect. All right. Well, we're going to put that out there. And if anyone cares to take a stab at it, send us a message on LinkedIn or actually even better yet, when we post this on LinkedIn, throw it in the comments and we'll do a little friendly competition, see who gets the closest. I'd have to put some pen to paper, Matt. I can't say that off the top of my head, but either way, for the listeners out there, a little fun homework for you. And Matt, thanks again for answering all the questions, all the listeners. Thanks again for the support and continued listening. Matt and I had a phenomenal time at the most recent AADE Fluids Conference. We met a ton of great people. It was just amazing to meet and shake hands with folks that have been listening over time. And so for those who have been long listeners, or maybe this is the first episode you've come across, we generally appreciate the support and listening. We do it for, you know, just to continue educating the drilling fluids world, the drilling world, and anyone else who's interested in what we do. So again, we really appreciate your support. Matt, any closing last words, buddy? I just echo that. It was so great seeing everybody and it was flattering to realize how many people we've never met who are listening. So that was really cool. Excellent. Well, thanks again. If you have any questions or topics for a show, let us know, hit us up on LinkedIn. And with that said, take care, everybody. Thanks a lot. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.